0: Welcome to the Revolution Church of New York City podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. Unlike most ministries, Revolution Church of New York City is not backed by grants from larger institutions. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionnyc.com slash donate. You can also read more by clicking the donate section on our website to learn more. Thanks for listening. Well, today we're going to talk about some odd words. Um, the sermon is is uh, inspired by Paul Tillich, um, but uh, so a sermon he did uh, called You Are Accepted. And now, I've worked off that sermon because i pulled out about a billion things from it. Um, but I'm still at the point where I'm giving him credit for it. Um, it's this first time you read it, second time you heard it somewhere, the third time I was thinking, that's how it works. Um, and it is about. Sorry, everybody, I just forgot to look one thing up for the sermon. There it goes. Oh, that was right. Yay! I know my Bible. Didn't think I was right, but oh, that's because I was 10 script verses off. Awkward silence. (laughs) This is all an experiment. There it is. Okay. Um, I want to talk about sin and grace. And how both of these words that I think are more strange to us even though they're words we hear a lot. Um, so many people use those words that they almost lose meaning because you don't know what they're meant and what, what they hold behind them. Thank you, sir. <laughs> the air conditioning's coming soon, everybody. Get ready to cool down. Um, People can use them all very differently. Uh, And it's almost to the point where it seems like maybe we should discard them sometimes and maybe they've become useless because they've been so abused and misunderstood, in some ways made into weapons that have shallow meanings or hurtful, painful meaning for so many. So, what is the deeper meaning of grace? What is the deeper meaning of sin? And how do we see that? You know, I've heard sin a lot of call, given a lot of things, missing the mark, separation. Um, but somehow we've allow sins to be categorized, or at least use the word as plural, like many sins, all of the sins, rather than just sin itself. Um, and I think we make a mistake there, uh, because I don't necessarily think the act is the sin as much as. Um, as much as the repercussions or the action and reaction. Um, I pu- you know, the idea of I'm punished by my sins, not for them. And the idea is that it's, you know, something that punishes us. God's not punishing us for it. Um, not even the devil's punishing us for it. But the idea of what it is. Um, and because so many of us think of sin as being an immoral act. But I think if we want to see real sin, we've seen the divided lines that are called, when you call someone sinner and another person righteous, or Christian or non, or believer or non-believer, you know, sinners and saints. The fact is is that becomes a separation automatically of us and them. And so I want to look at sin actually as being separation. And separation that we ourselves cause. Maybe that's the greater sin. Or maybe that is sin. Now, whether it be the blatant hate of Fred Phelps, saying, you know, God hates people, or the happy megachurch leader saying, it's just not God's best. Every day should be Friday. Um, (laughs) you will die if you live by every day should be Friday, by the way. Um... Because you're always working for the weekend, you know what I'm saying? Um, (laughs) Everybody. um, Sunday never comes. (laughs) I never have to go to church because every day is Friday. I have like 52 reasons that is a bad title for a book, which will be released next week. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, or, Or it's a chicken sandwich shop's CEO... Sane and sensitive things, no matter what the point is is is, is we 're all used to this blatant idea of of what we think sin is, but I want to think of separation and how these things call cause separation, because what we 've realized I think is the constant divide does not work, it leads us to more pain and hate and doubt and suffering. it allows us to assume, make assumptions out of other people when we're separated from them. It allows us to build up a fear. It allows us to somehow justify calling them sinners or something that's wrong with them when we don't know them because there's real no accountability to the relationship that we have. It's very easy to hide in your church on Sunday and get to the point where your church is your only community that everyone outside of it, or at least many outside of it, are sinners and don't belong. Because you're, you've what you've done is you've hidden yourself from everyone else, and I don't think that's ever what God intended. Paul Tillich suggested another word uh, for the substitute word of sin. Also, he said would be a useful clue to what it means is, is he said separation as well. <clears throat> and Paul Tillich talked about how we all understand the feeling of separation, and he felt that this. All, he, he said. Tillich also said that he felt that the state of sin was and is separation. You know, the idea of knowing that we are estranged from something which we really belong and which we should be united, even when when our, when we are the ones being abandoned or kicked out. I like the. It makes me think of the the idea of um, where, there's much, where there's where there's where uh, there's. There can't be great pain where there is not great love, that kind of idea of, you know, when people are hurt by things as silly as like a Chick-fil-A or as bad as a Phelps, Phelps or other things, and we see this horror that happens, or we see the horror of war, or we see the horror of just, you know, human beings walking into public places and shooting guns, or rather they be, you know, people we agree with or we don't agree with, not the shooters, but you know what I'm saying, no matter where it is, we all feel this somewhat of a pain and somewhat of a, a loneliness and some sort of a hollowness. Even if it's a numbness, it's a form of depression, and I think it's because it's a form of separation, I think it's the basic impulse of what the constant idea of what sin is, is separation. And so when we see that people are separated from one another and continuously causing these things of separation, Republican, Democrat, um, you know, there was a reason why Paul said there's no other Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, um, slave nor free. And he was really trying to make it particular that there's none of these separating anymore. There's no more separation. And but what we've gone back and done is, you know, not only are we separated by those things, but we're also separated by theology and philosophy and denominations and sets of beliefs, and so we've become a very separated group of people. Reminds me of when Martin Luther King said, "We may have come in different boats, but we're all in the same boat now," and uh, and that's kind of the idea. Is I think. We're called to be community. And I think we miss that. I think we we sometimes confuse the idea of when Paul and, and Jesus don't be of this world, they were talking about a very different world than ours. Their world wasn't very big, and their world also consists of about 80 different religions and different worships and different temples and different things like that. Sacrifices, human sacrifices, um, sacrifices, fertility gods. You know, this is the type of world that, that, that Paul and, and Jesus were talking about. They weren't talking about, you know, don't go out there and have a meal with somebody. I mean, obviously Jesus wasn't saying that because Jesus was always accused of eating with the wrong people. So, separation. seemed like separation was something that people always were looking for or wanting. I think he felt like that was the, the mistake of the of the Pharisees of the time. Is that they used their good works to separate themselves from others, you know, and they put the idea of law and religion above the other, and Jesus would come and say, "Yeah, these things are important, but more important is your you know faith expressing itself in love. It was always about connecting with other people with Jesus, I and mean, Jesus goes and finds a Samaritan woman who's the outcast amongst the outcasts. You know Jesus talks about leaving the ninety-nine to find the one. So every so, you know, it's like he's saying like, we can't even lose one. One person shouldn't be wandering off. And I've said this many times. Like, how, would most of us would be like, well, it's just one person. You know, they leave. They're giving, you know, whatever. <laughs> Still ninety-nine of us. But the idea is that that wasn't how God expressed value to us. The value came from all of us not just some of us, not some chosen group of people. I always say to, you know, it's really easy to say that you, 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 know, it's really easy to believe in, in, in uh, in, uh, self, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You are Calvinist. What are the big Calvinists? You're uh, chosen, you know, the chosen, you're Elect. It's really easy for the elect to say they're elect, but how is the elect good news for the unelect? <laughs> that's what I like to talk about. It's very easy, and I just feel that that's another way of separation. And not to diss every Calvinist that ever lived. I mean, I've got a lot of Calvinism in me because I love um, Martin Luther and uh, and Lutherans and all that stuff. Um, but some more of the more severe reform people are very much like, yeah we are chosen and the rest is God hates and he's hanging, it's like a spider hanging over a fire, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, that's not my experience of the message of Christ. And if Christ is the fulfillment of God, then I can't say that that's God. That might be um, Calvin, um, but some would argue that wasn't even Calvin. Some would argue that it was a misinterpretation of Calvin. Um, but it's somebody, but I don't think it's God. Because I don't think God calls us to want to be separated. We've created hell into eternal separation. You know, I mean, honestly, I challenge anybody to do a word study of hell. It will become uncomfortable because it will cease to become what you thought it was unless you continue to buy into Dante's Inferno and every other thing you were raised growing up thinking. I mean, when you hear the explanation of what hell really is, a place where dead bodies were put, maggots were actually there, fire was actually there, it was an awful place southwest. It was a dump southwest of Jerusalem, but it wasn't like a dump like we have. I mean, it was a dump of death and fire, and, you know, it literally, the literal explanations of what we hear was literally what it was. Um, I actually saw this documentary recently, and I think it's called Hellbound. Have you seen it yet? No? Okay. I I recommend it. Um, I don't know if it's out. Uh, you're not one of the elect. I was chosen to see it from the beginning of time. And um, I know I just stepped on a bunch of people's theology, and I, I don't mean to hurt your feelings. Um, I'm just giving you my opinion. Maybe I was chosen from the beginning of time to give you that opinion. Um, but I another, <laughs> um, And it really it goes through this, and it gives, you know, you have... Anywhere from Mark Driscoll's explanation, I mean, to... I mean, you have every explanation under the sun. And all these different leaders talking about it. All these different scholars. And it's a great, great thing to watch. You'll learn a lot. No matter where you stand on the issue, you will learn something about the idea of hell. And hell being separation. And the story of, you know, the water and the dipping. Because that's what everybody likes to use. But we're not going to get into that today. Because I want to look at separation, not just as internal but now, not life after death, but life now. Life before death. Believe it or not, um, this one's hard enough without worrying out what's going to happen in the, in the next one. So it's going to be a bummer if there's not, you know, just black. And because none of us will know, I've made a lot of bets with atheists. But if they see, but if they lose, they have to buy me a drink. And I said, if they win, I'll buy them a drink. But if they win, we'll never know because we'll just disappear win-win situation, folks. Um, check it out. Pascal's wager. Yeah, Pascal's Wager. It is. It's totally Pascal's Wager. Um, I'm just looking over these beautifully written notes. Um, I have dyslexia, so no one else could read them. It's like secret code. It's the Da Vinci Code. Um, now, Tillich does make it clear that he says that he doesn't think that separation is a substitute word for sin, but, but it is a very root word of it. So I want us to think of the state of sin as being separation for a moment, and everything I've just said is like, even when we, when we see things that continuously cause separation, why does it hurt? I mean, why is it that I think our Congress is the most unpopular that it's ever been? Because it can't work together. Because they're constantly separated over party lines. Now we might just think, well, it's just politics. But it's still a form of separation where people aren't willing to see eye to eye. And what happens? Nothing happens. What happens? People suffer. You know? Schools lose money, or this happens, or that happens, or this, nothing happens, you know? And there's a separation there that we've allowed to happen that is so... Sickening that it's like we're like going to watch a wrestling match and we're both rooting you know for different teams and we despise each other over this silly match, um, and I think it's our job is to not encourage separation, you know, but 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 to encourage at least some type of unity, some type of. Of, of bringing people together to at least be able to have a conversation. You know, Jesus said, love your enemies and do good to them. doesn't mean you have to like them. But if you love someone, you're not going to completely separate yourself from them, even if you don't like them, because love always eventually becomes help. Love compels you. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And I like the idea of not liking someone and loving people. Um... <laughs> Because we're all not going to like each other for various different reasons at different times. Paul said in um, Romans eight thirty-eight, said, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor high nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he goes on to say in 9, because they just not have numbers on them, believe it or not. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. May my conscience confirm it by the Holy Spirit. I like that in one of the New Living Translations it says not even the gates of hell will separate us from the love of God. And I like this idea that Paul is saying, I'm convinced of it. And there's other times you're like thinking, is he convinced? Is he not convinced? But I like to stick when we get with the essence of love and when we see Christ shine through his, his words as well. And since he's closer to Christ than even the Gospels themselves, I think it gives us a, a really good inkling of, of, of what he, he understood and, and what Christ taught. But nothing will separate us, not heights nor low, uh, in some versions say not the deep depths of the ocean or the highest mountains. You know, uh, this one's not as fun, but it's probably the most accurate. Um, But he says neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, Ultimately, and he's saying the essence of God and the essence of Christ, if you believe that Christ is God, or you know, maybe even if you just think he's a good guy, he's saying that nothing will ever separate you from this love because there is no separation in Christ. So when we practice something that does not seem to be within Christ, that's a good idea that maybe that is what sin is. You know, Jesus didn't rebuke Pharisees and the teachers of the law so he would be separated from them. He was trying to turn a light switch on. Even when in Corinthians, when you hear about Paul say, cast that person out, you know, the guy who's sleeping with his mother-in-law or something, it's always hard to figure out, cast him out into the dark. But even at the end of that, he goes, with the hope that he will return. Now, some people argue that in 2 Corinthians that it's in, when he says, well, you went too far, I was testing what you, what you would do. Some say that that's not referring to the same incident. Some say it does, but for the lack of us having any other books to explain it, let's say it was. You know, he's saying bring that person back in. There's a constant thing of restoration, restoration. And it's something that as the church we don't understand is we, we lose we lose when we create so many regulations and so many rules, and we make sin about morality, and we make faith about being, about righteousness. We create us and them. We create the perfect tool for separation. And I just don't see Jesus in there. And I have to say this I mean, you know, we've had hundreds and thousands of years, we've had thousands of years of of traditions and things changing and moving and everything. And I think we constantly have to remind ourselves, you know, even when we are looking at something that needs to change and we know that it's going to cause separation, let's look at the Reformation. Things have to change. Things have to be reformed. But we should always have part of that plan is, is, how do we reform everyone? How do we reunite with each other? You know, how how do we restore relationships after this? And that should always be a part of the goal, even when things have to change. Loving enemies and restoration. I think that's why we look at people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King, you know. Why does a Baptist minister have a statue in Washington, you know? Because he didn't believe in separation. And he didn't believe in violence didn't believing in, in causing more separation, or allowing hate to come into when I mean, people were hanging his friends, people were trying to kill his family. People eventually killed him, um, as they did with Jesus, as they did with Gandhi. And you look at these gentlemen, and it was a point was as always that it was we've got to be united eventually. The point is is that we've got to agree. We've got to realize that one of us is a friend, has been a victim of the misinformation, and we can't hate because hate can't become love. So it's this constant thing of love and restoration and Christ's message. Now you know what? This message will not make anybody happy. The super uber-duber liberals, won't be happy with it because they don't want to be friends with misogynists or friends with, you know, super conservative, like, control people. And then the conservatives will be like, well, we don't want to be with the immoral, you know, lefty, anything-goes crowd. I mean, no one's going to be happy. Because I've been part of both groups. You know, I still run into each circle every now and then. I mean, the fact is, is, like, conservatives get hung up on one thing and and liberals get caught up in another. You know, it's funny to sometimes for me to see how many times even more liberal, open folks get so hung up on 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 words, and then there comes another separation. Um, and honestly, I'm more on the liberal side than I am on the conservative side. But I'm just saying we've got a lot to learn. You know, being sensitive is not a way of. And I mean, it's hard not to be sensitive. And so, this is only called to the people who can be strong. And a lot of us are still hurt, and we don't need to go out there right directly. But when you're called to be a restorer, you're going to have to let some of that pain and that hurt lay to the side. Because if you're just wounded and you keep reacting and reacting, it causes more separation. And so, we've got to make sure that we allow ourselves time to heal, time to grow, and time to learn to be patient and kind not boastful, proud, or rude, you know, the fruits of the Spirit, those are all given to us so we can love the other. You know, we've gotten to this idea that the faith is about where we get to go, or the rewards we get. But when Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, it's very obvious that he's saying, okay, if you do these things, you're going to do this. And you get these. When you do these things, you get this reaction. But when you follow God, you get these things. And it goes right into the fruits of the Spirit. And you inherit the kingdom of God. I really believe that the kingdom of God is here on earth. I really believe that it's the fruits of the Spirit. And I believe the fruits of the Spirit are given to us so we are able to love not only our friends and our loved ones, but also our enemies, to cause restoration rather than separation. Um, I think it's it's harder. it's the hardest task you can ask anybody to do. I think that's why some of us just throw ourselves into a lot of theology or a lot of philosophy or an apologetics or different things like that because those things at least have some kind of black and white vibe to them. When you're trying to restore people and love enemies, it becomes a very sticky, uncomfortable, uh, sometimes hopeless place. You know, I would hear stories about Martin Luther King at the end of his life and how weak and tired he was you know, and how he looked like, you know, people said you'd be with him. He was like being with like a 60-year-old man. And I think he was, you know, he was in his early 30s, right, when he was assassinated. And uh, because loving your enemies is tough. I've been with other uh, people that I really look up to who are, who are social activists who practice nonviolence and just seen the bitterness and tiredness in their eyes, but they really try to keep it at bay because it's such a hard journey. It's such a hard journey to love those who persecute you. It's easier to live in separation. And I think maybe that's the wide road. The narrow road. When you're on a narrow road, everybody has to be close and together. Huh? <laughs> I'm taking this term, making it a little different. <laughs> on the wide road, one person can be on another side and the other on the other. <laughs> You've got this wide space. <laughs> um, and sometimes that's easier because everybody likes their space. Now I will say I am not preaching this to anyone, as well as I'm speaking it to myself, because this is something that I have to deal with daily. I mean, I think that's why dying to your flesh and why when, when people talk about suffering, I, I think we always miss it. Suffering isn't like, you're the man of the house and make sure your woman makes three meals a day. Um, I, <laughs> I don't think that's suffering. I think that's misogyny. Um, but what I do think is suffering and, and is hard is loving people. Even loving people that you love. If anybody who's been married or in a long relationship, and that is the person who is the love and light of your life, knows that there are times where you're like, this is not easy. So if it's not easy loving the one you cherish the most, I mean, well, half of us don't have a hard time loving ourselves. Am I right? Am I right? I'm right. <laughs> you're right, Jay. So I guess my encouragement is: is let's let's look at that next time as you walk through life. Maybe don't look at sin as some code of morality or or immorality, but see to separation. And and check your words and your language and and, and how you you things you, you you line things up and say. And what is my life drawn to? Is it towards separation? Because honestly, I don't want to follow any faith or any kind of idea where I'm going to be constantly separated from people. I end up in my own island. There's a reason we don't like cults. is because they get in a little group and they hide off and then they completely separate themselves from us. I mean, think about everything that hurts you is this separation. Why did a guy go in and shoot all these people? Why did he feel the need to kill people and separate himself and separate these people for eternity from our world? You know, why does a CEO have to say, you know, we're all married to our first wives and we all, the you know, why do we have to use the Bible as a reason to separate people? You know, if love is what really changes people, then maybe we should try that. And I think, for me, the hardest thing to see is that I think what separation has also done is it allowed us to create a counterfeit idea of what love is. And the church has a lot of counterfeit love in it. And that just breaks my heart every day. Because they'll look at you and tell you, well, this is love. And I go, everything you're saying to me has to do with separating yourself from other people or making other people feel worse about themselves or making you feel better about yourself. This is not love. The other word is grace. Grace is a tough one. Grace happens in spite of Grace is the reunion of life, and the reunion of those who may have separated ourselves, self, themselves from us, or us to them. Grace is the reunion. Grace is the restoration. People ask me, "What is grace?" And I used to be able to answer that really quick. Well, it's you know, unmerited favor. Why well, are you got do one? Well, it's the gift that God gave us to allow us to do the good things that He planned for us long ago. And those were my, you know, really easy words to give to someone. Because I had, like, this great Greek-Hebrew lexicon thing that, you know, I could look up. Or Strong's Strongest Concordance, which I love that. I love any stupid play on words. Um, Strong's Strongest Strongest Concordance yet. And... um, you know, before we had computers, and I really gave into computers, like, we had books this big to <laughs> so try to understand the Bible, and I had like five of these books to try to understand Greek and Hebrew. Um, it would take me months, one word, <laughs> I just type it in, it shows up. Um, but you would come up with this idea of grace. What I've learned is that I can't answer that question, and so my my answer is not. And I, I've said this before, and it's not. To sell books, and so I don't always say it this way anyway, because now because it sounds so like, hey, buy my book. Um, but people are like, well, explain grace to me, and I go, I can't. You know, that's what I'm trying to write books about because I'm trying to understand this idea that is so complex and so beautiful and so amazing that um, it loves in despite of it reunites. It, 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 it I mean. Uh, Who cares if you like Bono or not? If you're from my generation, you probably think Bono's awesome. If you're from just a generation after me, you probably think he's a jackass. Um, But the point is, is the guy probably saving the world more than any of us or any church in the place, so maybe he's a guy of love. You don't have to like his music. (laughs) He's just trying to cure debt in the world. Um, (laughs) Reunite He has a song called Grace. Well, U2 has a song called Grace. And um, I don't have the lyrics or anything in front of me. I just was thinking about it. And it says, you know, it, it takes ugly things and makes them beautiful. And I'm singing it in my head. I'm not going to sing it to you guys. It's a beautiful song. Listen to it. It's called Grace. It's by You Two. It's on the All That You Can't Leave Behind album's last song. Um, But it talks about, you know, moving outside of karma. You know, people say, oh, I got what was coming to them. Um, That's a really great saying until you've been a member of a family where everybody continued to say you got what was coming to you. You know, then you're kind of going like karma's, you know, a real jerk because, you know, karma doesn't care about kids or friends or relatives either, you know is just a, a bitch or a bastard, so I'm going to be equal there because um, I'm not using any of those in the negative term, nor female, nor male, just a term. I love female dogs, and I love children without parents. Um, okay, now you can leave because I'm sure I've offended someone at this point. If I haven't, I'm not doing my job now. I'm just not Jay putting his foot in his mouth. Um So, grace, what is grace? Grace is reunion. Grace is bringing us together. Grace is something that moves outside of karma. Grace is not fair. Grace leaves the 99 for the one. Grace forgives 70 times seven or whatever, an infinity amount of number of of, forgives. Grace loves its enemy. Grace sees beauty and ugly things. Um. I think grace can, can expre- expose the misinformation that so many of us have fallen victim to because of fear and anger. Grace can show that what some call love, as I said before, is counterfeit. When you experience grace, grace is connected to love. Grace is connected to love and compassion. And I think they're elements of each other and you can't really pull them apart. You know, also, I think about 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Love does no wrong to anyone. It never gives up. You know, it never loses faith and endures for every circumstance. Now, of course, we all feel like that would be an impossible thing to do. And a lot of it really is, humanly speaking. But grace is what moves in that moment to allow you to have that glimpse of that or to practice that for maybe a moment. You know. And trust me, not just the world, but everybody in it, Christian or non, for some reason will at one point try to drive this concept out of your head. Don't let it. Don't let them, don't let me. Grace accepts the unacceptable. said about grace is, is we experience the grace of being able to accept the life of another even if the life is hostile and harmful to us for through grace we know that it belongs to the same ground to which we belong and which we have been accepted and to me that's what an amazing thing is that being able to accept the life of another, even if it be hostile and harmful to us? Okay, that's grace. You know, the other day I had somebody, um, some somebody wrote, uh, I'm going to quote. So if you have virginal ears, please cover them. Um, guess what the fuck is grace? and uh, Twitter and that's the first time I've ever used the F word speaking up on the front of the stage just so you know, you were here um, you know why? because I don't like to fight unnecessary battles So, um, but the idea was is then someone goes this other guy goes and it was like this God is dead thing and then this other person who's like atheist number 28 or something says I don't know but that Jay Baker guy that Jay Baker character talks about it all the time <laughs> Now, I favored that because that was a little star in my cap. Yeah, they have no idea what it is, but they certainly know I'd like to talk about it. Um, so I'm doing half of my job. At least I'm saying it a lot, I'm just not explaining it well. Um, and so you're maybe more worried that the fact that I said, no, I don't know. Give me grace for saying the F word if that offended you. Um, see, I'm not even against you, but maybe you're uncomfortable. So practicing grace and acceptance. Um, anywho, um, I believe that we, when we are you able to even accept those who don't accept us, our love and grace will show them the error of their ways. You know people just say, "You know, I hear so often saying, you know and and a lot of the work I do, well, we just want a place at the table. And the problem is is you know they won't give us a place at the table. So what I've decided is that maybe we should have have the grace to create our own table that is completely open for all people to come to. You know we just want room at the table. Well, why in the hell is it their table? Let's create a table, obviously, if that table is so exclusive, that is open and welcoming and says, there's so much love, there's so much grace here, there's so much reunion here, uh, that you're welcome here. This table is always open to you and anyone else. Even as my enemy, we can come here, and we can eat, and we can discuss things very fervently, but at the same time we know that this will always be a place of grace. Now I know this sounds like pie-in-the-sky hippie stuff, I know it does, and Jesus was that kind of pie in the sky hippie dude you know i 'm sorry but you know I want Jesus to be like tough, badass sometimes, but and some preachers are able to make him into that, but i 'm not i 'm um, see someone who 's constantly practicing love and, and, and trying to reunite people, even through the acts of flipping tables over. Um, Grace sometimes appears in all these separations that we've talked about and that we've done to reunite us with those to whom we belong. And I think that's important. Is that when we see that moment of grace that even remains within the separation, within the hurt and the pain that we feel, that we remember, why is this here? And it's to reunite us. And you know, maybe we can start making better ideas and better plans for tomorrow and the next day and the day after that, once we can be reunited Once we can allow people to see that separation is the true sin, the very thing that they preach as though it is the gospel is the very thing that is tearing not only the church, but the world, our country, other countries apart by separation. Because separation then becomes violence. Love always becomes help. Separation eventually becomes us and them. Um, Status. Which, the whole when Paul said there's neither female nor no male nor Jew nor Gentile, it was all about elitism and status. And, and when he was saying that, there's no more status, there's no more elite. And when we allow separation, it creates elite and the haves and the have nots. I mean, there's a reason that we all vote usually in our best interest rather than the yeah, other's interest. Now, a lot of us vote in our least, uh, that's a whole other story. <laughs> I got some of you convinced. Um, <laughs> we can talk politics never, ever again. Um, anytime you want, but not up here. Um, so I guess my hope is is that you realize that you're accepted. And that's what you have to do. Is accept that you're accepted. And once you realize that, maybe you can help others understand the same thing. So... May grace and peace be with you always. Thank you. Um, I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to pass the hat. Um, If this is your church and you'd like to give it to us and help us out, this is how we pay our rent and pay our bills. Um, I saw a thing the other day on Huffington Post, like, what does tithe going to? Yeah, I was like, you son of a gun. Um, Bills, payroll, I would like to say health insurance, but that's not true. We don't have it. Um, I mean, did years ago. It was lovely. Um, going to the doctor was amazing. <laughs> not having to go on Groupon for dental work was also a nice thing. Um, I'm serious. I have to go on Groupon to get my teeth looked at. But thank goodness, Obamacare, in a year, I will have my teeth looked at. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's how we do it. If the, We'd rather have you than your money, though, so please don't feel any pressure to give. That's not what it's about. But if you can, that's great. If you can't, that's great, too. Um, I'm going to pray while the hat goes around. Uh, God, uh, Lord, I thank you for your, your grace and your love. And even showing us that separation is not of your will and helping me see that and all of us hopefully to realize that. Um, It's a pretty tall order to love our enemies and love those who persecute us. It's a pretty tall order to ask us to love those who persecute the people we love. So we need your grace and your compassion. We need to be built and strengthened every day and encouraged to do so. May we not lose faith or hope in each other. In your name, amen. Amen.